Fast API is a modern, fast, high-performance web framework for building APIs with Python based on standard Python type hints. Typer is a library for building command line interface applications also based on Python type hints. Type hints and many other details are intended to make it easier to develop, test, and debug applications using Fast API and Typer. The person behind both Fast API and Typer is Sebastian Ramirez. Sebastian is on the show today, and we discuss both Fast API and Typer and uses for both. This episode of Testing Code is brought to you by PyCharm. Save time, use PyCharm, and by listeners like you who support the show through Patreon. Welcome to Testing Code, because software engineering should include more testing. Welcome to Testing Code. I'm really excited to have you here. You're Sebastian Ramirez. And can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, sure. Uh, So first, thank you very much for having me here on the show. So yeah, I'm I'm Sebastian Ramirez. I'm uh, I'm, uh, actually from Colombia, South America. That's why the accent uh, but I'm now living in Berlin, Germany. I'm working for Explosion, uh, the, the, the company behind Spacey, the Natural Language Processing uh, Toolkit. Uh, they are the creators of Spacey and Prodigy, the, the, annotation, uh, li- the annotation package for uh, machine learning using active learning. And Think, the deep learning library using uh, type annotations uh, uh, with a functional style. So I'm working uh, here in Berlin, and I'm the creator of FastAPI, which is this new, well, sort of newish, I guess, uh, API uh, framework, uh, and Typer, which is the common line interface framework or library, uh, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah, that's me. You've been working on FastAPI for a while, right? When did this start? Yeah, so it was actually uh, like FastAPI started in uh, or like one year and, and some months ago this is actually like when you consider when you consider like all the other frameworks that are there like this is quite young i would say yes uh, but yeah like it started when i was working at a at a, at a company in dubai uh, and like it was uh, actually like a combination of ideas of all these new previous frameworks and tools that had like a uh, great ideas and great uh, ways to work. Uh, but then I was just like trying to combine uh, new tools and new uh, possibilities to achieve the same things that I, I was trying to achieve, combining like a bunch of pieces together. Like th- that is not necessarily easy to combine a bunch of plugins and to make them work. And I was just trying to make it all work by default using standard Python type annotations so that you can just like write standard Python code and get like all the benefits of type annotations like type checks and auto-completion and all this stuff. And then get with that, get for free data validation, data serialization, uh, documentation, uh, like, uh, yeah, and all that just like by annotating your data so that when you you add uh, type annotations to the, the functions, and then uh, when the function executes, you know that the data is already validated, and like you can just like uh, dedicate yourself to the business logic of your application without having to do like all the custom logic for checking like is this payload actually correct or not, and all the stuff. So that that was like the idea uh, uh, that I was trying to 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 
to achieve. For Fast API, the API in there is a REST API. So it's a it's an endpoint or set of endpoints, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, the, the thing is that uh, like after recently, most of these frameworks have had like the, the main idea of uh, generating HTML in the backend and with, with using templates and this this kind of things. And they have been like they have invested a lot of work in these template engines and uh, all these things. But then, like many modern applications, uh, actually show the front end using a JavaScript library, and like a modern front end using something like React or Vue.js or Angular, or or even like maybe the application is actually not a like the the the, the front end or the user interface is actually not even a web thing, but but a mobile application, and the mobile application has to communicate with some backend servers. So uh, with all this change or all this uh, shift in uh, development, uh, like uh, the idea is to, uh, like the, these new applications end up communicating with the backend like a separate component. Yeah. And like uh, having just like this uh, independent uh, logic and independent uh, responsibilities. So the idea with FastAPI is just to be able to uh, easily build uh, mainly JSON web APIs, but actually you can implement it and uh, like do it with XML, I guess, if you want to, or like YAML or whatever uh, of these uh, systems that, that, that you want to, to implement. Of course, like the default is just JSON uh, because that's like what most, uh, most uh, systems use. Uh, yeah, like the idea is just to be able to do that and uh, to do it, it all in a standard way using uh, open standards like open API, JSON schema, and OAuth for security. And the, the fast part of it is it's high performance, right? Yeah, the fast, the fast actually it's, it's double, like, yeah, it's high performance. So fast API is actually based on Starlet and Starlet is built by Tom Christie, the same, the same creator of Django REST framework. Uh, and Starlet is currently like uh, one of the fastest uh, Python frameworks as measured by independent uh, benchmarks. And then FastAPI is actually just Starlet on steroids and uh, it just adds a bunch of stuff. And then it combines it with another library called Pydantic that does a like data validation, serialization and documentation based on standard Python type hints. So then FastAPI just combines these two things and both of them are like, a, uh, up there in the top ranking for performance. Okay. So that's on the side of performance. Uh, like it's one of the fastest uh, frameworks available uh, uh, for Python. And on the other side, uh, writing code in FastAPI is quite fast. Like uh, having a product ready is quite fast. Like the amount of code that you have to write for the API itself is actually very little. Like most of the code that you end up writing is the business logic of your application. Like the API code is actually really, really small because it just gets out of the way and does the right thing for you. So uh, yeah, the, the, the fast part is because it's like high performance, but on the other side, it's very quick uh, to like have something uh, already working when developing with FastAPI. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I love running my tests right from PyCharm. There are many ways to run the tests, and I use lots of them. And every one of those also has an option to run the tests with the debugger, or with the profiler, or with coverage. Run with coverage, and now there are percentage of lines covered listed in the project tree right next to the file names. 
select a file with low coverage, for instance, and visually you see exactly which lines are covered and which ones are not by colors in the gutter alongside the code. Coverage and PyCharm, two tools I use all the time, work great together. Awesome. Running with the profiler or with code coverage are part of PyCharm Pro and is one of the reasons why I use PyCharm Pro. Not the only reason to grab Pro, but it is super cool. Try it yourself by visiting testandcode.com slash PyCharm. There, you can try PyCharm Pro free for four months and see for yourself if coverage in your editor saves you time. I think it will. If you go to the Fast API documentation, the key feature bullet points, there's only one that says like fast for performance. And there's a whole bunch of focus on fast to code, reduce the number of human errors that, that happen by minimizing the syntax that people have to use, making it easy. And uh, just like it's not, there's not a lot of work to do to, to implement an API. The other end is you've focused, you've also put a lot of thought into making sure that you can debug it easily. And, uh, and the, so this whole comfort level for the developer experience is very refreshing. And um, I'm not surprised that it's getting a lot of attention and getting a lot of use because of, I think that's uh, probably because of all of that and that it's super fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is, I mean, it, I think it would have been popular in any way, even if it was just the same speed as everything else. So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad like you like the, the dogs and like the thing, but yeah, like actually uh, the, the, the design of the, like the API of the library and the, the way you interact with it, the design of it, like that was like a lot of uh, work uh, put just into the design of how it should look like and how it should feel like while developing with it. Uh, because like uh, one of the main ideas I wanted was uh, to have auto-completion everywhere. So whenever you are coding with FastAPI, you get auto-completion for your own data and you get auto-completion for the, the, the function parameters that uh, you might pass to any of the functions that you use. Like the, the, there is nowhere that you have to use one of these uh, KWRs uh, that that uh, that the function takes like some arbitrary number of keyword arguments and that then you just have to go to documentation to find out what is it that will go there. Like actually everything is declared and everything has types and everything. So so you can just like use auto completion for everything. Uh, the, the idea is that you should be able to give a quick pass to the documentation and then just like never come back. Just use auto-completion in your editor to know what is the thing that you have to pass uh, in there for it to work. Oh, that's great. I, I didn't notice that. That's an interesting touch. And then also you're building off other people as well, like Swagger's one. Is Swagger part of it or incorporate it with it easily? Or Yeah, so the thing is that a fast API, like... Uh, 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 even the, the design of the code itself is built around uh, the open standard open API, which was previously known as Swagger. Like it was Swagger 1, then Swagger 2.0, and then uh, the next version was called Open API 3.0. Oh, I missed but it's, that. It's the, same whole, okay. it's the same whole thing. Okay. Uh, and then uh, after it became Open API, uh, like the, the, it was transferred to the, the, the organization handling it, is the Linux uh, Foundation something like that but it's still like it's a lot of the the, the 
the, the core development of that is done by the same guys that, that created Swagger. Okay. Uh, but then there is the user interface that can read that. So this open API is just like a, a big uh, JSON or YAML file that describes uh, how an API will look like and describes all the possible like endpoints or however you want to call them and with all the possible parameters and all the bodies and like the payloads and everything with all the data shapes and the data types of each one of those things. Then uh, FastAPI is built around that and it generates, like the API that you create uh, uh, is automatically follows though, uh, that, uh, that like specification, that standard, and then you uh, get uh, for free, uh, like the, the generation of the schema for that open API standard. Uh, so like you get like a, a whole a huge uh, schema des describing your whole API. And then this same thing is consumed by Swagger UI, which is like the user interface that lets you explore interactively the documentation of your own API. And you can actually like execute uh, uh, like uh, requests to your, own, to your own API using Swagger UI. Uh, like um, Swagger UI is just like a JavaScript library uh, that uh, reads this uh, JSON uh, Open API schema, and then it can interact with that API. But uh, FastAPI bundles everything together, so you can just like create your API and then go to your API slash docs, and then you get an interactive API documentation uh, for free. So uh, I'm one of the things since I'm not I'm not normally working on uh, with. Uh... REST APIs and stuff. That's not my day-to-day -day thing. I'm curious, what, what, where is this used? Where's the, where do, when do people use the, like the Swagger UI? Is it during like a debugging or adding a feature or is it just during like development or like when is the normal time for people to use it? Do you know? So, yeah. So the, the, the funny thing with this is that once you have uh, an interactive uh, API exploration or documentation thing to to uh, to work with your API, uh, you end up using it like all the time, uh, like during development to check that your API is actually working. So you don't have to wait for the front end uh, UI team or maybe that's even yourself to build something that communicates with that API to make sure that it works. Or maybe like try to make a curl commands and make sure that you send the right uh, uh, payload and everything because like you have examples already there in the in the automatic documentation. So the first the first uh, benefit and the first user of this automatic user interface is like the same developer that is writing the the API. Uh, it's like uh, I don't know, like having a postman very integrated into the API that already knows what are all the possible uh, endpoints and what are all the possible payloads and what is valid and what not, uh, and like just have it right there. Then the next, uh, uh, the next uh, kind of people that could benefit from it is other teams. For example, if you have a front-end team that needs to communicate with the API, uh, Without a system like this, the documentation of the API many times ends up in a wiki that ends up getting obsolete quite quickly, like uh, after you have to add upgrades and migrate stuff and change stuff. And then they are struggling trying to communicate with the API that has like obsolete documentation in the wiki. So when they, when they can just like use the documentation that is uh, always up to date with the actual API, that, that, that helps a lot. And then the other one is when you are building an API uh, like 
for your actual like final customers or clients to, to interact with. And they can explore the API there directly. Uh, that, that, that also helps a lot. Uh, also because when you create the API uh, uh, and when you get this uh, user interface, it also has like documentation and you can integrate like actual like textual documentation and markdown documentation that is read from the doc strings of your functions. And it's all like done there like automatically. So you can document how to use your whole API and everything inside of the same code that handles it. So it's a lot easier to keep it up to date because like if you update a parameter and you mention that parameter in the doc string of the same function that is receiving that parameter, that then like it's a lot easier to detect that you are changing something that is documented there. If you need to have like some specific uh, uh, textual uh, explanation of what is it doing. So people, I mean, but people leave these, uh, um in place forever, right? You don't take them out at some point. The... Yeah, like, uh, uh, okay, like the documentation interface? Yeah. Yeah, so one option is just to leave it forever. And I will say like, that's, that's the simplest. Uh, also because uh, like some people consider it like, uh, that, like they will want to hide it for final users. I guess it's it's also like part of the idea of thinking that it will expose something that should be private or something like that. Uh, but actually, the the security should not be done like by obscurity, by hiding where are the endpoints, but actually by uh, making sure that the data that is transferred is secure. Uh, and that's also like the, the the same API and the same thing can be integrated with OAuth too. And there are like utilities to make it super easy, so you can get like an application that works uh, very similar to like uh, uh, GitHub or Twitter or, or Facebook or any of these things that say login with application X, or you can integrate one of those uh, X applications uh, like very easily and then do the authentication uh, not by hiding where are the possible endpoints, but like by uh, by doing like the security stuff on the, on the API side. So yeah, like the, the simplest thing to do is just like have the API there because like it's actually just like a, an extra feature for your API to have it like actually documented. But at the same time, there's some people that want to hide it and want to like make it only available for authenticated users or stuff like that. So they can use it with like an authentication cookie or things like that. But yeah, it's, it's also like possible to hide it when people want to do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that's actually interesting. I was, I hadn't thought thought of the uh, notion of hiding it, and so if people didn't want it exposed to users, but they'll still, I mean, they'll still need it for maintenance work, um, or having it on a debug server or something like that, right? So that's cool. Um, the um then, okay, then it's uh before we move on to Typer, I wanted to ask, do you know how widely used Fast API is yet? I know that's hard, yeah, a hard thing to measure, but yeah, yeah. Like uh, I know it's it's a lot more used than I would have expected it to be. Like I know there's like a huge use base. Uh, like uh, not not only like in I don't know in the USA, in Europe, also like in China, in Japan, in India. There's like a lot of users. Like I can see like. For example, just seeing like the Google Analytics for the documentation, you can see like there's always like, I don't know, 20, 40 people every second in the documentation. It's like just like a lot of people just using it. And I have seen like people migrating 
a lot of uh, from a lot of frameworks to FastAPI, and I know that that it's currently used uh, by uh, Microsoft for Windows APIs and uh, Netflix for their their monitoring thing for uh, Dispatcher. Uh, Uber uses it uh, for the Ludwig uh, machine learning system. So there's actually like a bunch of places that they are really using it, and like yeah, I I, I think it's that, that that's really cool. Like people are being able to adopt these new technologies. Uh, a lot faster. Also, like I guess, because uh, the benefits that these new ideas and these new technologies provide, like justify adding new new tools and like using them. So yeah, I guess I guess that's uh, driving a lot of the, the the new users. And is it is it um, are there are there new features coming into Fast API or is it uh, mostly in a maintenance mode, uh, making sure that it stays compatible with everything in the future? Uh, what's what's the development model of Fast API right now? So there's actually a, a bunch of stuff that is uh, coming to Fast API, and uh, like also like there's a stuff uh, coming to Starlet itself, Starlet itself, uh, and like uh, uh, like Tom Christie and the whole um, uh, uh, the whole team are building like a bunch of stuff into Starlet and like. Uh, improving stuff there that also is inherited by FastAPI. And then FastAPI also, uh, like there's a bunch of things that are uh, also going to be added. And uh, even though like there's a bunch of stuff that is going to be added and included, there's also already like some backward compatibility layers to make sure that uh, some like older quote unquote applications made with FastAPI don't break. Yeah, they're only like, a year old at most, right? Yeah, so. exactly. So it's, it's it's a bit weird to have compatibility layers and stuff in something that the version is uh, still like pre 1.0. And it's also, I don't know, like why do we keep these versions pre 1.0 while well, like the test coverage is at 100%, the, the whole code base is fully tight annotated and like it's used in a lot of places, but yeah, like I guess it's just to have like this flexibility uh, to to update some of the interfaces and some of the ways that it can be handled and used uh, to have make sure that it has like the best possible like uh, develop development experience. Okay, yeah, you're still at zero point fifty four. It looks like yeah. What's up with that? Why not go to one? <laughs> I guess myself the same. <laughs> no, but actually, I want to. I wanted to make sure. I wanted to wait uh, for Pydantic to be one point uh, something, and Pydantic is already one point five. Uh, now I'm waiting for Starlet to be one point something uh, to to make sure like th that is also stable. Uh, uh, but yeah, like uh, it's just to, to make sure like uh, uh, stuff is like r uh, relatively stable before moving to a one point something. Uh, but if you if uh, developers spin their versions and make sure that they have the the, the code tested, uh, then like it should be fairly easy to upgrade to a new version. Okay, and even so, even if there's even if there's possible uh, interaction, I mean, realistically, I'm, I, I, it doesn't bother me at all. But the um, uh, if Starlet changed the API for some reason, um, they probably are not because a lot of people are using Starlet also. Um, you, you would, there's how much of the interface between Starlet and the end user of fast API is, I don't know. So the, the thing is that Starlet is, uh, 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 like a very lean, uh, 
toolkit and framework. And uh, uh, like uh, in some cases, it could be more a toolkit than a framework. Like it's very, very lean. It doesn't have like uh, hard requirements and it has like a very simple uh, code base. It's actually a beautiful code base. Uh, and uh, FastAPI just like uses all that and that's uh, all the stuff on top of it. Okay. Uh, but like, like if, uh, Starlet uh, is not very possible that it will change a lot of its own API, uh, like to change the way it works. Like it actually has changed the way uh, the style, the default style to de declare path operations, so, sorry, to declare like endpoints and stuff. Uh, and uh, that I call them in FastAPI, I call them path operations because it's a specific path with a specific HTTP operation or HTTP method. So just to keep it in line with uh, the, the OpenAPI specification. Uh, so like this, the in FastAPI, everything is done through decorators. So you can do like a at app.get and then put the path there. In Starlet, the default is to use a classes and declare like classes inside of lists and stuff like that. Uh, like more similar to how it works in Django, uh, then FastAPI will be more similar to how it works in Flask, I guess. Uh, but actually that doesn't really affect uh, how uh, FastAPI and Starlight interact with each other because uh, it's actually using the core uh, stuff uh, underneath uh, for everything to work. On the other side, uh, Tom Christie is like, uh, uh, like he, he's an awesome guy, and uh, he he knows that uh, FastAPI is using it heavily, and that uh, like the interaction is very strong with uh, FastAPI and Starlet. Uh, so like uh, I don't know, like even in some of the of the API changes, he has like uh, asked me like, hey, will this affect or not, or like That's how cool. to make I mean, we make sure that everything keeps working? Yeah, Tom's a really cool guy. Um, I should have him on the show. I haven't had him on yet. Uh, but the one of the other things I had wanted to ask is um, uh, if if somebody already has an existing application that doesn't that they want to add an API, like I mean, there is a uh, API too. Does Fast API work with other stuff? Can I can I hook like a Django app to a Fast API, or is that or is that just don't do that? No, yeah, actually, recently I was uh, like someone was uh, using like the uh, like having a previous Django application and integrating that with a FastAPI application and like using the same Django ORM with FastAPI, which is kind of a weird trick. Like for a new project, it will probably will probably make that much sense. But if you have like an already existing project, like FastAPI is made to be super uh, modular and super uh, independent of any ORM or any database or any of these like additional layers or components. So it's very easy to just like integrate it with other parts or like even to add it as a layer on top of the existing API just to add like new features through FastAPI in like some of some of the specific uh, endpoints, let's say, and then keeping the rest in the in the already existing uh, application. Okay, I mean, there's a lot of applications out there that, and people that hold data that um, they're being requested. I mean, uh, we're trying to get more and more open with data, right? So, um, so that that people can expose uh, an API instead of just publishing uh, CSV files or something. Yeah, exactly, uh, so, exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, uh, and it will probably be like the the simplest way. Uh, 
to do it, I guess. But of course, I'm super biased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So then, and then Typer comes along. Typer's even newer. Um, were you in uh, Berlin by then? But when when you started yeah, working on Typer, Typer was actually like the the like the Christmas. Uh, I went to freak mode during Christmas again. <laughs> <laughs> like last Christmas, it was finishing up Fast API. This uh, like the previous Christmas, like this Christmas was finishing Typer. The idea with Typer is to provide like kind of the same a uh, development experience and the same design uh, ideas to command line applications, to command line interfaces. So using uh, standard Python type annotations uh, just to declare uh, command line arguments and uh, parameters, uh, like an options and like declaring flags and everything just with standard Python uh, type annotations. And to get uh, uh, automatic data validation for, from the command line and automatic like uh, type checks auto-completion in your code, but at the same time, auto-completion in the final uh, command line application. So that when your users can, uh, use the command line application built with Typer, they can also get auto-completion in their own uh, shell for the commands that you are creating with Typer. That, that's like the idea, to make it super easy to build and to have it like a very, uh, uh, to generate a very nice uh, final command line application for the final users. So one of the one of my shortlist things of to do is to try to convert. I've got a couple applications that use Click um, that I want to convert to Typer just because it's less syntax. Uh, there's there's less junk that I have to put on. I mean, Click is easy already, uh, but there is some stuff in the API of Click that when you have it in your code, you look at it and you go, I I don't really know what this is doing. It's just I have to have it to make it work. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, no, yeah, nothing against click. I mean, it's better than everything else I've tried before. Um, but uh, this, you're, you're, again, it's so simple. You just stick these like decorators on top of a function, and then you've got an API, or like a command line interface. It's incredible. Yeah, and I actually, like uh, as as someone pointed out, like. It wouldn't actually be migrating from Click. It will be just like adding a layer on top of Click because uh, Typer uh, is actually a lean layer on top of Click, just doing adding the types and stuff. Uh, but it's actually Click what powers everything underneath. The thing is that Click was designed and created like for Python 2.x. And then, like, we didn't even have types. We didn't have, like, a lot of the new things that we have now. So it, it didn't even have the uh, the possibility to use types for these things. But then, like, with Typer, the idea is, for example, in Click, when you want to add, uh, like, a flag option, uh, let's say, like, I don't know, dash, dash, verbose or something like that, you have to declare that in a decorator, and then you have to declare it again uh, as a function parameter. And those two things are pretty far away in the code. Like, they're, like, maybe several lines away. And the thing is that when you update one of those and when you update the name of one of those, you have to update the other one. And keeping that in sync without having something that makes them uh, correlated, like, automatically in some way, uh, that's uh, th that can make it a little bit more difficult. So that's one of the main ideas in Typer is that you declare 
uh, one of these uh, parameters, so one of these names, you declare them only once and then like everything is kept in sync uh, together because you are just declaring it only once. And then, I mean, building on top of click is smart because the, uh, like the, the test on the, on the back end, click already had a test uh, interface, uh, which was it's very nice to be able to test uh, your application. Um, it does the 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 testing part of Typer is that just using the same click uh, testing interface or is it something else? Yeah, it, yeah, it just it's, it uses like almost the same things. It's just that the click one uh, expects a click application, the Typer one expects a Typer application because Typer doesn't really uh, the the way that click works is that when you decorate a function, it modifies the variable. Uh, that you decorated to convert it to some specific type of object internal to click. So then like when you create a function, it uh, ends up not being a function, but being an instance of a command uh, class, something like that. In Typer, Typer doesn't really modify the function at all. Uh, then you, you get the, the Typer application uh, independent of that. And when you call it, uh, right when you call the function, that's when it generates a click application. That's actually like a very technical detail, but yeah, like that, that's how it works underneath. Okay. So you, you actually use, uh, the, the, the code is actually kind of the same that will be for a click, uh, for testing a click application. Uh, but it's just that it takes care of making sure that you're using a typer application and to convert all the things that need to be converted uh, for it to, to work. Yeah, but this, the, again, this focus um, on the comfort level of uh, both the developer and the de the developer writing the tests. Hopefully, it's the same person, but it might be a different person. This yeah. is this is really great, and I love it. Uh, the auto completion part, where you're including these little stubs to um, to be able to add auto completion to the applications that people write using Typer. This is interesting, and why was this important to you? So, like, I guess I don't have very good memory. So I have been relying on auto-completion for everything, for like the code I write and for the command line applications as I write. Uh, like, I don't know, and when you use when you use a, a command in the command line, and maybe if you are using like a new command, uh, knowing where are the, all the possible parameters, uh, it's like difficult. Like having to go to the documentation online and then going back to the command line and trying to check where are the possible parameters, where are the possible sub-commands, uh, that that that's not as comfortable as it could be when you can have like auto completion in the command line itself. Uh, like I really enjoyed working with uh, command line applications uh, that had this auto completion feature for the shells uh, that I was using, and I have been like moving through all the shells, bash, fish, and now seashell, and actually seashell, then fish, and now back to seashell. So I wanted to be able to. Uh, that these applications that are made with Typer that will work with any of these shells and that take care of uh, making it work for those shells without the developer having to deal with all the details of each specific shell. And actually, like they're super different between each shell, between PowerShell in Windows, Bash, uh, Seashell, and Fish. Like all of them work very differently in, in the way they handle the completion. So having that by default was something that I was really wanted to to achieve. Oh, so your um, your install completion bit will even deal with PowerShell. 
Yes, so it will be, uh, even deal with PowerShell, and there was a lot of struggle to make that actually work correctly. That's incredible. So, That's cool. the, like the, the first versions were using a click completion that uh, did a lot of the of the job of the work uh, there. Uh, the recent versions of Typer use some parts and some of the ideas of uh, click uh, completion, but actually don't use click completion itself because several parts are re-implemented to work with recent versions of PowerShell that like uh, are not supported like in any other library that I know of. So you, what's your most? You said you use Z Shell the most. Yeah, I'm using Z Shell the most. Okay. So what happens if I if I write a little application? And I and I run it with the install completion. What is it doing? Is it changing a like a dot file or something? Or yeah, so uh, for the case of uh, Bash and C shell, it's uh, it's generating another uh, uh, file inside of your uh, environment in a specific place that will be read later, and it's modifying the in the case of Bash, it's modifying the dot bash rc to read that file. Uh, it's not adding the the completion part to the .bashrc directly, so that you can just like remove that line if you want to uninstall the completion, okay. or remove the file that is generated. And for Seashell, uh, it's the same. For Fish, it's generating a file in another place uh, for Fish functions uh, that then Fish will read automatically and call it whenever you you are uh, like. Triggering auto completion for that program, and for PowerShell is generating a, fi a file. It's similar to like a .bashrc, but for PowerShell, uh, it cannot read it from an external source because PowerShell doesn't have a way to do that. Uh, but then, like it just adds the necessary configurations to have it uh, in PowerShell. And actually, in our in the latest version, it's possible to have an application that is installed inside of a virtual environment, then install auto-completion, and then uh, have it, uh, like have the auto-completion work uh, when you are in the environment, even if the application is not installed outside of the environment. The trick here is that when you start a new uh, session in your shell, uh, all the auto-completions are like set up. But then if the command is not already available, then uh, it cannot call that command to generate the completion. Uh, but the latest version is made in a way that will delay that call to the command until the command is available, even if it's inside of a virtual environment. Oh, wow. Okay. Neat. Well, what's one of the things that I think is awesome about this is because, yeah, I love it when uh, tools pr provide completion and stuff, but I don't know how to do it. Um, and, and a lot of people, like a lot of command line tools are written not for a massive number of people. They're written for a handful of people in a developer group or something, or uh, uh, it's a tool for a company or something. It's a, and having, having it in the, I can't justify figuring out how to do completion for a little tool like that, except for if I just have to run, divide, design it with typer and I get that for free, then of course I'm going to have that included. And it's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, exactly. And specifically for uh, for many of these use cases where it's just like a small script, it's just like a small application that maybe doesn't even justify building a whole like package, like a whole Python package and installing it yeah. uh, for it to work. When you just like, let's say, just have like a small tasks.py script inside of the project. 
for these cases, I built a Typer CLI, which is, so one thing is Typer, the library, and this one is an independent package called Typer CLI that you can install, and then uh, it will read the file that you are providing it that has like uses typer and then it will provide you auto completion for that script directly in the command line without you even having to install anything in it and because the way typer works uh, you can even create a standard uh, file with just like a, a main function uh, and declare some parameters with some types that you can say like this should be a path and this should be an integer and this should be like a string and then call that with Typer and Typer will convert that into a command line application with autocompletion and everything uh, just from your simple script. Okay, I gotta so check that for, out. For this, for this like for specific like uh, projects and for having like some script that is just very tightly attached to a project that doesn't justify like creating a whole package just for that script, uh, this 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 order to like uh, actually works quite well. Okay, now I warned you about this before you came on. You, yeah, <laughs> uh, you have an awesome mustache, um, and I want to. I mean, I I would. Re probably call it a handlebar, but I don't know if that's the right term. Um, but <laughs> is there a story here? How long have you had this? So the mustache has been there for actually for several years. I think it's been there for like, uh, I don't know, seven or eight years, something like that. Okay. And the story, is, the story is actually quite simple. It's just that my grandfather, that is a, quite a character, uh, decided to grow a mustache like this. And he just like went with it like... Uh, just decided to do it because he could. Uh, and then I, I say like, okay, let's just do follow along and do the same. Uh, and yeah, like I, I think when he started thinking, uh, he started like painting uh, and like uh, drawing, he said like, I want to have a mustache because I'm a painter now. And it was like, uh, after he was like, I don't know, 60 or 70, I don't remember. And he said like, oh, I'm just gonna do that. So then I just like copied the style. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Homage to your grandfather. So we, <laughs> did he grow, was he in Colombia then? So my grandfather is quite a particular person. He is, yeah, he's in Colombia and he was a cyclist when he was young. And he came, uh, he went to the, to the first tour, uh, the France, uh, uh, like the first Colombian team to go to the Tour de France oh, fr wow. uh, from Colombia. And then like he decided to retire and just like have a farm and then have like animals and then like, uh, lately, he decided to be a painter. So yeah, he's been he's been doing uh, whatever he wants. I think is he still around then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's he's still around. Do you get to uh, visit Colombia very often? Yeah, not that much recently with coronavirus and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, from time to time, I get to I get to go there and visit. Nice. Everyone. Okay, and you're. Um, I think we covered this already, but you're in Berlin now. Yeah, I'm uh, currently living in Berlin and working with uh, with Explosion. Okay, and um, yeah, I've never been to Berlin. I want to do that sometime once we get the travel things uh, yeah. settled out. But oh, it's it's a very nice city. Make make sure to come and let me know so we can have a coffee around. Thanks so much. Uh, I I want to thank you for coming on the show, but also for th um for all your work on Fast API and Typer. Yeah. So Thank you very much. Thank you very much for, for having me. It's a, a great pleasure.
Thank you, Sebastian, for that great interview and for working on Fast API and Typer. Thank you to Patreon supporters. Join them by going to testingcode.com support. And thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. The link for the extended pro trial is at testingcode.com PyCharm. That link is also in our show notes at testingcode.com 120. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.